welcome to Incremental's infamous podcast show, Podrick the Podcast. Today's episode features Filippo De Rose, Chief Marketing Officer at Fabulous. Filippo is a very well-known data-driven marketer with many years' experience in the mobile space. He's one of those people who really gets where the wind is blowing, and we always love talking with him and featuring him in our podcast shows. The episode today is part of our Orchestrating Measurement series, where we follow up on the white paper we've recently published. If you haven't checked out the white paper, go and download it today at incremental.com white papers. This episode is hosted by myself, Ma'or Sadra, and Hadar Telem, Director of Business Product Operations at Incremental. But before we dive into this podcast, please make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode again. So without further ado, let's start the interview about the Measurement Orchestra with Filippo. Oh, Filippo, super happy to have you here with us today. Um, how are you? I'm great. Thank you very much. Cool. Uh, maybe introduce yourself to the audience. Tell yes. us a bit about yourself, where you're coming from. Thank you for inviting me, uh, Moor, Adar. Uh, much appreciated. And uh, I hope you guys are super well as well. Um, so I am Filippo DeRose. Um, the CMO at Fabulous. Um, we have a portfolio of products uh, focused on uh, different aspects of mental wellness. Um, our flagship product is actually called Fabulous, like the company, but we have a rising star in our portfolio now called Clarify, which is focused on supporting people who need uh, more uh, tools to deal with uh, ADHD. Um, and um, I have been in the space for quite some time um, uh, in different uh, growth roles, um, mostly in gaming and um, uh, now in non-gaming in the health and fitness vertical. Um, I do miss gaming, but uh, there is pros and cons to every vertical and new things to learn in every vertical. Um, before that, I have a technical background. I worked for a decade in aerospace. Um, and um, I am sort of a, a growth uh, individual focused on uh, consumers, but also very um, in line and aligned with product. Um, as I can speak a certain language to product people, developers. Uh, so I'm also very data-driven due to a computer science background. So, so instead of them telling you, so when essentially when they tell you, no, we can't do that, you're able to tell them, yes, you can do that. I think that's, um, that's an interesting <laughs> point, obviously, because... I think that's incredibly subject to the you know the level of competence uh, of, of the you know the developer or engineer you're talking to because if they're specialized in certain languages or certain architectures 
uh, it's obviously very hard to like take anybody's SDK and integrate it for ad monetization purposes. Or um, if you are speaking to a backend guy and you're you know trying to get something done in the front end, you know it's. So I, I think it depends to the on the situation. Obviously, people who are very familiar with integrating SDKs, they'll do it in two seconds. Um, uh, people who are familiar with like you know data engineering will will help you out with other server side issues. So it's it, I think it's on a case by case basis. But you know I'm not in a position from where I sit to say I'm sure you can do better than that because 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 I'm really yeah I'm you're uh, humble. Well, yes. Uh, thank you for, for saying that. But it's also just, you know, it matters to uh, when 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 you're in, in marketing uh, and in growth, you're already by default in a very prov provocative role. And so you have to make sure that you are um, respecting company dynamics and also building uh, strong relationships across teams, um, you know, so it's it's a T-shaped role to all intents and purposes you know, across the company and also across your skill sets. So speaking of provocative, okay, we're going to be talking about growth marketing and performance marketing, and it's very difficult to talk about these topics without mentioning anything about measurement. Okay, now, what I wanted to understand, and again, you've been in this space for some time, you know, two years ago, something relatively drastic happened. How has the world of a CMO changed today versus two years ago? Oh, <laughs> quite dramatically. Um, um, specific, some things are exactly the same and they have become more important. Others have radically changed. So if we're thinking about the performance aspect and performance marketing, obviously what has changed there is all the ways the, the measurement paradigm has changed, as we all know, and so the workflows have changed. And this is this is definitely the case of uh, Fabulous, for example, uh, when we look at uh, the different kinds of measurement that we do and how that impacts the actual execution, the operations of performance marketing. When you look at things like creative, uh, they have become much more the center of attention compared to before, because they are pretty much the only element left fully in your control. And uh, for example, when speaking to Facebook, they they've just recently we had a meeting, which is um, interesting because not everyone can get meetings very easily these days with Facebook. And, um, and it's difficult to get meetings with a certain frequency. So uh, it was nice to sit down with them. And they reiterated that they have invested in AI like everyone else. But they are staying away from, uh, you know, getting involved with creative in, in terms of like, you know, we will make the creatives for you. We don't think that's a great idea and it's a great product choice. So we, we're staying away from that. Google is kind of dipping their toes in that a little bit, you know, where they're trying to like generate creatives as well. I'm not sure what the, the future holds there. But so the developing creative production has... Um, and, and how you use the data to drive you there has definitely changed dramatically in terms of analyzing um, the different aspects of the creative and what you should iterate on, what you should stop, new ideas, new concepts, how much effort you put in 
copying competitors, how much effort you put in generating new ideas and having a very systematic approach um, because you really are now, you know, this is the main element you control and really controls your destiny. The creative now is something that um, is the ultimate uh, key to opening the door of finding people with intent because targeting cannot do that as effectively as it did before. Um, so this is really what has changed. It is harder to find people with the intent to convert. And so that the only tool basically is creative. Did uh, Facebook tell you why they're not gonna do like AI generated creative? I mean, I didn't speak to any uh, VP to be clear. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, it's an account manager, but uh, my sense is they are focusing their investments on on other functionality, uh, which is related to measurement. So you know, things like AEM, for example, have have really made a difference for us and many others. Um, and Cappy, for example. Um, so I think they are putting more investment and attention into that. Um, rather than like building some magical additional functionality to deliver new creatives or, um, and obviously the impact of AI is obviously uh, influencing as well the creative production process and the creative intelligence process. Um, it has definitely accelerated times to production and times to market. I mean, we pretty actively use AI as well. in this um, so that that's an aspect that has definitely uh, changed and, and of course I mean it goes without saying analytics <laughs> how dramatically that has changed over the past uh, over the past two years um, and the use of uh, other channels outside of the traditional performance uh, there is much more of that because we can leverage the Things like media mix modeling right so we can understand a little bit better what is the impact of influencers versus what is the impact of more social media marketing or guerrilla marketing or other tactics like this uh, whereas before it was you know quote unquote so easy to get into performance and just do sort of the traditional UA and you wouldn't think as much about social media uh, or community driven or influencer or Depending on the product, of course, some products uh, are excellent with influencer marketing. But now it's sort of it's it's table stakes. You have to think about all these other channels. There's no there's no question um, because it is not easy to scale uh, to on the other more traditional channels as it used to be. I'm gonna ask an interesting question that I didn't send you before. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer the world we're living in now from again, purely on a UA, I'm not talking about anything else. Do you prefer this world or the previous world? Uh, this world. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, am going, I am going to get so much heat for this answer. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, um, look, objectively speaking, I think it's, um, we, we live in a world where uh, it's survival of the fittest and even, even more now. And so what that means is not it's not, I'm not talking about the very kind of Roman Empire you know your life your death my life no, not not in that sense um, but in the sense of you know it takes uh, it takes skills and talent to to win at this um, and I'm not saying before it didn't but you you know before you could have as easily just ran you know 
a very basic form of marketing just off a spreadsheet and that was it and um you know as much as i i love to keep things um simple and stupid and, and operationally excellent um the reality is that's not marketing you know it's not just a spreadsheet where you, you know magically put money in and 3x comes out on the other end there is a couple of th other things that you should be thinking about so in some sense yeah it was almost too easy uh before and so now i think now we're just there's a lot of like negative reaction because we kind of miss it you know we realize now how easy it was but i you know i i mean i would say it is what is the situation now has forced us to become better at what we do make better creative strategies, make better products as well that monetize better. So net-net, potentially a better experience for the consumer, you know? Uh, hard to judge that. Uh, we, we shall see maybe in a few more years. But I think we're seeing the rise of better products and better advertising, although, of course, advertising always has a lot of junk. Um, but some very interesting new ideas as well for how we market these products and that we would have never really necessarily thought before because it wasn't necessary. We were still getting the performance from simple ads. Mm -hmm. I was doing basically, uh, I have kind of two degrees in marketing. So on the second, like every time you learn or study marketing on the university, you, you learn about kind of a... <laughs> Uh, traditional marketing methods uh, and uh, when I did my MBA I was um, already working at uh, Pledica and also during huge games while I was working on my thesis um, and it's just really different worlds what you learned in kind of marketing classical marketing versus the reality of digital marketing and I think that now we're kind of getting closer <laughs> to the sources of uh, marketing and kind of getting value to the users in a kind of much more kind of traditional and broader uh, way. Uh, and I think it's like you're saying that the the value of who is kind of maybe contributing more to society or giving actual value to users, which are not <laughs> exactly the same, uh, is probably easier for you also when you kind of, um, when you're a CMO of a kind of a product that is supposed to help and improve the world and improve the well-being of uh, its users. So I think it's also, you're kind of in a good place. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I think it's like very valuable because uh, I kind of, uh, I looked at your product and I think it's uh, it's super interesting. And it's, it's interesting that you said that you're also uh, trying to uh, help people with HDHD, HDHD. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think it's super uh, awesome, just as a personal note. Um, anyway, you're kind of, as a company, quite unique in a sense that you're super data-driven and, like, are topics of incrementality and media mix modeling new to fab Fabulous? Um, are, like, they started post-ATT or have they always been there? Or, like, when you could do digital marketing, were you even interested um, in MMM? Post ATT, uh, me personally or the company. So the company post ATT. Me, me personally, I've always been interested, um, but we're never given the bandwidth to prioritize it uh, before because it wasn't 
such a necessity and and so it was it, it, it was a personal academic exercise now it's becoming part of everyday life and work now so we can finally invest time and uh, and and yeah, as Moore knows, we've uh, invested a lot internally to to build uh, these these things, and and um, yeah, they're they're definitely becoming you know, post ATT. They've become central to to what we're doing in, in performance, and um, and uh, it's it's very relevant, very relevant uh, to to what we're doing, um, and and it's basically part of our. Uh, Operational workflow in performance marketing on a monthly basis, but you know we we refer to it regularly. But every month we we update the model and uh, simulate our budgets and and see how that um, how that goes. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's uh, it's definitely an important aspect. Uh, now, could or how could? Any of these methodologies, you know, take MMM, take incrementality, take um, the user-based attribution that you do get, you do get partial user-based attribution. And combining these methodology end up helping you build an actual user journey, basically from like the first impression on UAC to uh, influencer word of mouth. Yeah, I. this is a subject that I, I love and I wish I had the the golden answer and i shouldn't probably even talking about it in in the podcast if i did because i'd be giving away the keys to the kingdom but uh i i don't have a good answer i so i think we need to uh, try to understand really where where the journey begins and how we are measuring it um and then we have to obviously, you know, very common sense comment, make some assumptions and validate them, right? So what what we need to, I'm I'm a big fan of this idea that it's not just you know we we've been so used to like the last click, you know, and and, and not thinking about whatever else happens before or even you know the impression within the last twenty four hours, but not thinking about the different things that a consumer does to, to find our apps and our content. And um, to Hadar's problem, uh, Hadar's point before, um, we're thinking, we're, we got much closer now after these tectonic changes, we're getting much closer to the consumer and trying to understand the consumer. It's not anymore an Excel spreadsheet with an ID. And so it is really important to understand how the purchasing process is happening. And, and the purchasing process is like the download process, right? And then eventually it becomes the, the real purchase within the product. So there are different ways to create models based on, you know, uh, modeling conversion efficiency at every step of the way. So the conversion from impression to click and the conversion from click to install. And these models can be regularly updated as you, you know, collect the, the data on the different channels that you're using. And this allows you to see this, this conversion efficiency gives you an idea of like, 
how this journey is going from impression to install to, to purchase, you know, and, and allows you to see where it's, it's, if the efficiency is dropping, it's clearly harder for the consumer. <laughs> so there is something in that journey happening, right? So if you can see like, you know, the, the impression turning into an inst into a, into a click on, on Facebook and suddenly you see uh, the efficiency of that is is going down. Something is happening from impression to click in the journey of the user that is affecting the efficiency. And at that point, you can make some assumptions, right? And you can say, okay, well, maybe they are going to other channels from Facebook. They are going to TikTok. They are finding you on uh, organically, or they are... Uh, you know, there could be different steps being taken. Um, and we, we have a gap there. We have a gap which, you know, I mean, for the lack of a better term, is what we've always spoken about for years. No, it's multi-touch. Multi and it is hard to do and hard to build. Um, but that would be, that would be, in my very humble opinion, a game changer because then I know, okay, I know that people are going to Facebook, but then afterwards they're doing something else. They're, uh, you know, going to this other channel or reading a blog or because they're documenting themselves on this product or they're just simply distracted by doing something else. And then I can understand better where I should invest my, my effort because indeed, if we are in a world now, for example, where influencers play a strong part, then maybe it is thanks to that that my UA is even better because, you know, uh, they see my ad, but they don't react to it. Then they see an influencer video because they follow that influencer. And then suddenly they remember the ad. So then they go back and then they'll see the ad again, maybe, or they won't, but they'll click on another ad. That is also for me, right? That tells me more about where I should try to invest more. And it's not just like a question of buying power, but where should I invest more content? This is the, the trick here. Like, do I need more influencer content? Do I need more advertising content on Facebook? Do I need more uh, search engine advertising on Google, right? Um, this is an important aspect, right? Because we ultimately are content builders as well. So that's what our companies do. We make content. So it is useful for us to know what content we should invest more in and, and develop more, um, as well as which channels, of course, we should be buying more. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's part of the equation. But it, it, it's important to drive our content development strategy. Um, Interesting. So, so, so what you're saying here is, so you know, we've lost the ability to measure multi-touch. On the other hand, if you're essentially constructing your marketing strategy to to recreate the user journey, you are effectively doing multi-touch, mm -hmm. even though you can't measure it anymore. Yes, you're touching the user on uh, multiple places. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Yeah, but it's this is a. So this is a very complex problem, um, certainly. 
but I think we are getting uh, a clearer picture, ironically, compared to before, <laughs> because we are getting these different inputs. We have MMM, then we have conversion efficiency modeling based on scan and not scan data, right? Then we have real-time or near-real-time daily information on, on the channel dashboards that you know we react to based on those conversion efficiency models. So we, you know um, there are different sources of information now that provide you feedback on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, or you know depending on your models, it can be every three days, and on a monthly basis, right? And so you are painting a complete picture by getting inputs at different moments of the week, the month, etc. Um, and it's difficult to you know put those together and try to paint this complete picture, but it's it's really important. And it, and so ironically, in this whole situation, we've lost like the easy to do kind of you know user level attribution on a daily basis. Um, but we have gained other forms of measurement paradigms. We have pushed ourselves with, you know, uh, against adversity, we, we push ourselves and we have gained other ways of measuring and we build a more complete hypothetical picture of what's going on with the user. Yeah, so do you think that basically now that you have the complete picture um, on the other side, like we are kind of losing the loop closing that we had, that we when we had only less uh, less touch attribution. So basically, what mean of targeting or optimization um, are you using until the loop gets closed, or will it ever get closed again? <laughs> in your opinion? Yeah. So that's uh, so um, we're we're getting this complete picture. Uh... Not completely yet, <laughs> but I am as optimistic as you that we will get there. <laughs> um, but that, so that's a big gap, right? Because we're building this picture, but it does not equate to the ability to target that we have on offer right now. And I mean, you know, this is natural, that this will evolve, but obviously we're still using forms of targeting. Um, which are still there on the platforms um, uh, due to legacy reasons. But I think these forms of targeting need to evolve. They need to evolve because they're the, the I mean, you know, people say now it's very contextual, um, but I think we still need to evolve further because we need to um, target within this, you know, bigger picture of the user journey, right? So how cool would it be to, to say, I just want to target all the users that, uh, you know, uh, this morning uh, woke up very early and drove for an hour, okay, and then uh, went to the gym. Did not go to work. Then after the gym, they went to work. <laughs> so Good for those, them. What? Sorry? Good for them. Good for them. Yeah, exactly. But I'm saying it would be pretty amazing to have kind of a form of targeting that, you know, you could say in simple terms is a, is a bunch of Boolean conditions. And 
it's not anymore female 1825 US, okay? Because this is the the data is is just not there anymore to be able to do that to a degree of accuracy, which makes marketing efficient. And so we are so heavily dependent on inference at this point and probability um, that we are really making marketing inefficient that way. And so the, the, the other aspect of this kind of targeting is it's just antiquated. It's, the, the consumer generations have evolved so rapidly, especially, especially in digital. And I'm not just saying like, you know, Gen Z, Gen Y. I'm literally talking about just, you know, within Gen Z, there is multiple different ways of consuming content and different generations. Mm -hmm. So we really need to get in tune with, with that and not like, you know, we're targeting Gen Z or we're targeting female or we're targeting male. Uh, we need to get in tune with consumer behavior. Um, because that's ultimately what's what's going on. It's not like I love it when people say, you know, my generation. You know, we we I, I hate to say this, we you know, Gen X. Uh, the Gen Xers, you know, they had Facebook. You know. Gen Y had uh, Snapchat, and Gen Z had TikTok. I mean, that's just that's an oversimplification of what's going on here. <laughs> it's not like every yeah, like sure, every generation comes with a social network, but there are multiple generations on the same social network, right? So how do you but define we, Yeah, because we also changed. Like, of course. You know, of course. Like we change. And we are, yeah. you know, we like you and I, we're Gen Zs, of course. Of course. Of course. course. We and, and we're still, like, we're still on everything. But you use TikTok, right? I actually uninstalled TikTok a month ago, but that's for, let's say, different reasons. Well, um, but, but, yeah. But, yeah, yeah I'm always younger in so I never had Right, no, but my point is, you know, like this kind of targeting that we use now does not really say, I mean, sure, you know, you can say, you know, uses TikTok and is a Gen X. But the consumer behavior that I have is so different from a Gen Z. The, the way we use TikTok is so different. Okay, I mean, I use and not statistically significant, but you know, um, like many Gen Zers, I use it as a search engine. But I also know there are Gen Xers like me and Gen Zers who use it for dopamine hit, right? And uh, and you know, so targeting is not reflective necessarily of our content consumption behavior, and I think that's really important. That's the the bit that's missing here. That would make our marketing a little bit more efficient uh, because we we still have to a degree that data and it's not like PII data, right? It's not uh, the person spent $15.99 on a uh, unique candy bar in some special mm -hmm. shop. <laughs> That's very, very personal data, right? But uh, defining consumers by you know they love netflix and they spend two hours a day on it and then they love tiktok and they spend one hour on it and they and they 
use TikTok for this reason. You know, kind of privacy, respectful targeting parameters that still describe people's consumer preferences, right? Because a demographic is not a consumer preference. And also it's just, there is, we are more and more losing the data to support that kind of pinpoint accuracy on demographic. So this is all to say we need, <laughs> we, we've, we have adapted to new measurement paradigms we also need the platforms to redefine the measurement paradigms themselves to, to, to provide. And, I, and, I, and to be fair, I think things like AEM and CAPER on Facebook, for example, or even similar attempts on, on TikTok, um, you know, various channels are trying to move in that direction. But, you know, these, these, these take a little bit longer, right? Because they've got what to if, deal. Yeah, go what, I find, what I find interesting is, again, so... It, it, so influencers is a very, very powerful new medium, okay? And I think mm -hmm. we can both agree in it. And if you if you match the influencer to the product, you're going to have amazing results. The challenge is that while the influencer is a very strong medium, unlike Facebook and Google and so on, the influencer has literally zero stake in the measurement part. They cannot influence how you're going to measure them. Right, but to be fair, um, we're not anymore in the early days of influencers. And increasingly, I'm meeting influencers that have a growing strong opinion about this because, of course, they're getting paid. <laughs> so, so they understand there's no magical wand on measurement, but they also want to get paid. And fairly, like justly, you know, I brought you these results, please pay me. But there, so, is no, there is no copy. There is no copy for Mr. Beast. Right, right, right. So, so I think, I, so I think this this has now become also their 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 subject matter to a certain extent. I mean, obviously, some more, some less. But a lot of influencers are definitely very. There before this was not even a, a subject matter. Now it's like you know discussed. You know, where do we put the link? And uh, are you getting the clicks, etc.? So you know, people are extremely mindful of this because they also want to you know if there's a good fit and they can keep working with you they will so they want to know that they're delivering results and and they want to keep working so but I, but i think you know at the end of the day the influencers need those mediums right and the mediums need to really reflect on you know a, a different a, a, a measurement paradigm shift of like how you do targeting so that we will you know thanks to that we will be able to then spend more and they will make more we will get better results and spend more because i think this is really the the part that is still an, an open wound here the targeting is just not working properly and so the marketing efficiency has dropped. But I mean, you know, for obvious reasons, we understand the targeting is based on these parameters and we've lost the data. But now we need to really think, let's think again about the targeting. And I've said this to MMPs as well. I mean, uh, you know, like we really need to, but I mean, obviously these changes will take time, but I'm, I'm a big proponent and fan of the subject of, you know, 
we need to change the targeting and it has to be based on the consumer's behavior and how, what are their preferences. Um, and just like this is an idea that if uh, someone would propose a few years ago, uh, everyone would laugh at me, maybe they will now, but when we're talking <laughs> about classical marketing, would that be such a crazy idea to have like a user group of your actual uh, kind of people who are likely to use your product? What do they think of? Have user surveys? I think those methods are kind of have gone from the world because we didn't have to. We, we didn't have to kind of uh, make the extra effort to kind of interview users or understand who our users are, uh, if they are willing and kind of uh, open to that. I think this would kind of give us a lot of information, even though it's like, you know, it's it's a sample, it's a, um, qualitative rather than quantitative. But I think this is kind of also additional methods that would help us in targeting that are still viable options. Even if we're going backwards, it will give us real answers about real users rather than assuming what is the behavior, uh, looking at their data and what do they clicked on. I, I definitely see more of this now. Uh, especially in non-gaming, as you can expect, there is um, uh, a lot of like we do a lot of MPS, uh, so uh, there's a lot of those kinds of surveys going on. Um, I'm seeing it more in gaming you now. With like, uh, there's also a lot of these companies have emerged very strong user testing, playtest cloud, etc. There, and they're pretty good, um, pretty good services to use and. And it's become an essential part of the development process. Um, but I think here what we need is something that obviously has to be programmatic. It has to be scalable. The, the, how do we extract that information and make it uh, targetable? You know, So I mean, this is you know, we're trying to solve the problem for the channels we won't be able to also we don't work for them so good but, <laughs> but no, jokes aside um they 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 need to find a system that is obviously privacy respectful but also scalable because the problem from what i can see in 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 mps and some you know user testing experiences the I've recently had. Um, it's always very obviously, you know, there is sample bias, statistical insignificance, and and also cognitive bias. <laughs> so, so it's very difficult to turn that into something that can be uh, transformed into data that then is scalable across wide swaths of populations. And if there's a solution to do that, wow, you know, very very impressive. Um, but that's another data point to be considered, essentially. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the world we live in right now, right? A lot of lots of data points and you know that we try to extract to into information and information into decision making, basically. If if it was, I mean, I think, yeah, no, of course. But I think if it was like technically possible, then why wouldn't I mean I would imagine somebody like Nielsen, just I'm just second guessing here, should have done like a major partnership with a Facebook, for example, a Meta to, uh, you know, reinvent targeting, you know, <laughs> because Nielsen certainly have a vast amount of programmatic data uh, that 
the, the kind of data that I'm, that, that I'm suggesting here and that, you know, and again, we don't want to get into the whole arena of selling data and all that. Let's, let's avoid that altogether. But like data centers dedicated to this could be um, a great, a great solution. But these data centers should really be collecting anonymized, um, you know, privacy respectful user behavior patterns. You know, <laughs> that's that. These these sort of Nielsen data centers. I don't know what to call them. They or, or maybe they're just universally government controlled. Um, where we are collecting literally all our behaviors, but you know, there's no way I can identify a specific person, but we can see everybody's uh, consumer behaviors, and we can see what their uh, their preferences are, and and you know. Um, that could be an interesting kind of setup. I, I don't have a solution, obviously, but I think yeah. it could be, those kinds of setups could be very interesting to like power the new generation of targeting. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we really need to, you know, put an incentive in place because obviously, you know, businesses respond to incentives and there still isn't an incentive for the channels to say, let's reinvent targeting because clearly it's still still like this and uh, so it, it has remained the same and it hasn't flinched since uh two years ago <laughs> so yeah. some is missing to, to change this but but really this this should this should this should happen yeah uh, i i agree with you uh, i think it was it was a, quite an interesting conversation i think we have uh kind of brought a lot of cool and new ideas <laughs> to the table crazy um, right? some crazy some yeah maybe not love being crazy maybe maybe we'll some old to. some new uh, some uh, revived uh but anyway since we're talking about orchestration measurement this is the last question here today and this is the fun question uh oh. what instrument would you be playing if you were to be playing in orchestra Oh me! Oh, yeah, you. No, 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 no! Like uh, a Stratocaster, one hundred percent. What? Stratocaster, Fender guitar. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Because I was learning it, and uh, and then what happened is I became a dad, and I had to abandon that hobby. Oh no! It's sad. No, it's not. It's like <laughs> happy, but it's more important. <laughs> more important. You? But you'll get back to it when you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fatherhood doesn't last forever. It lasts uh, possibly 18 years max. <laughs> Motherhood lasts forever. That one's good. <laughs> <laughs> Great seeing you again, Filippo. Thank you very much yeah, for being to be our here. guest. Great seeing you guys. It was great to be seen. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. See ya.